One of the un- unexpected joys this morning is uh, there's many faces that I haven't seen in five months. I know there's still many that are watching at home, but some of you I haven't seen since we all shut down five months ago. It's been almost overwhelming as I think through this message and I see the different faces and how they embody it. And then I get here and I haven't seen him for five months. And even now, as I stand up here, I can't tell you what it produces inside of me. But since I haven't seen some of you in five months, you might not know, my wife and I had our fifth child three weeks ago. One of Tiffany and I's favorite stand-up comedians has this line where he says, if you want to know what it's like to have five kids, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. (laughs) That's our life. It's an absolute mess. So we were out about three nights ago, and one of our neighbors uh, very politely just said, wow, you guys seem like you're adjusting to your fifth child so well. And Tiff and I just laugh about this comment all the time and just say, if you came inside our house one evening, you would realize the mess that we live in. 2020 though, is anyone else feeling a mess right now? I have a friend whose hobby seems to be sending me memes that represent this year. Oh, I'll put my favorite one on the screen. (laughs) Professionally, Our season got canceled right before the national tournament. Our students were sent home. We don't know what comes next in college sports. Nationally, there's racial tension. There's a contentious election. There's a crumbling economy. In college church, Pastor Steve is putting a basketball coach in the pulpit on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Life is a mess. Eight days ago, I was, I was struggling. I was feeling the weight and tension of this. And uh, my wife saw it. And Tiffany goes, Jeff, calm down. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself. Most are still watching online. And as soon as they see you get up, they're going to shut the computer and listen to one of Pastor Steve's sermons from three weeks ago. <laughs> if only you guys knew, Tiffany. What is going on with this year? So when I sit and I hear Paul say, it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but it's the one who's commended by the Lord. I struggle. And I say, what does that look like when I'm sitting in the mess? Now here's my hope and here's my prayer. My hope is that when we leave this room, we'll have a renewed hope in the advantages that we have as spirit-empowered believers to build something new from the mess. And we'll have the courage to take the kingdom risks necessary to see that come to life. But if I had to be honest, when I think back through the last five months, I've too often found myself living in the wrong direction. And there's really two things that I've seen as I've thought through this that have led to that. The first is I spend way too much time focused on the wrong sphere. So I'll follow what's happening nationally. Maybe it's politics, maybe it's sports, maybe it's the pandemic. I'll look on social media, I'll look on news sites, 
and it'll occupy so much of my time and cause so much inner angst. And I felt God slowly saying, Jeff, what if you took some of that time, some of that attention, and some of that capacity and redirected it to the family that's right in front of you, to the team that you're a part of, to the neighborhood you live in? Which of those two directions would lead to more real influence? And which would lead to a better life? Second, I spend way too much time fighting with the wrong weapons. This really comes down to pride. I hear about a mess and I start to think about myself. How does it affect me? How can I fix it? And I start to strive. I pick up weapons that only I have the capacity to accomplish. If I can win another championship, if I can get more education, if I can articulate the argument for what I believe in better, then I can validate myself. Pride leading to worldly ambition. They're earthly metrics. And God's slowly been saying, Jeff, if you fight with the wrong weapons, if the Holy Spirit is not the initiator of the activity that you are part of, then you shouldn't be surprised if the result of your action doesn't manifest itself in kingdom fruit. And if you have no capacity to build your way out of the mess. Well, if you want to read about messes in scripture, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are good places to start. If you Google mess and Corinthians, you get over 4 million results. The church was messy. And we see in Acts 18 that Paul had planted a church there while working as a tent maker. I, of course, hear that and think he was a layperson. And he's dealing with all these messes in the church. And one night he gets a vision from God. And in the vision, God says, there's all these messes, but I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Keep preaching the good news. So Paul lives into that for the next 18 months. Then we get to read these two letters that he wrote back to the church. And what we see in these letters is the leaders of this church were driven by earthly metrics. The people were impressed with them because of their eloquence or because of their wealth. And Paul says, those are marks of false apostles. We hear consistent messages throughout both letters. There's a mess here. And Paul says, let me tell you how the gospel changes that mess and makes something new out of it. Life through Christ opens up a new reality is what Paul consistently says through these two letters. In fact, in Paul's 12 writings, there's 12 times when he says, by the grace God has given to me. And overwhelmingly, when he's talking about this grace, it's in regards to mission. What are we doing for Christ in the, Lord, in the world and not about salvation? Will I go to heaven when I die? It's this grace that fuels the mission that Paul is called to in the world. Being a spirit-empowered believer actually gave him advantages to fulfill this mission. But what does that look like when we're sitting in the mess? That's where we hone into 2 Corinthians 10 and we hear this finish. We need to be commended by the Lord. And as you read through 2 Corinthians 10, you actually hear two things that he says. First, he says, Jeff, confine your boasting to the sphere of service that God himself assigned. 
It's verse 13. In another version, it says, the area of influence that God gave you. Let it be known. It's God who gives the influence. It's God who gives the assignments. Paul's detractors are judging by appearances. They're using earthly message. What's the size of the platform? How many followers do you have? How many likes do you get? What's your salary? What's your job title? It's not about lay versus clergy. Paul says those are not wise ways to view the world. Take some of that time and attention of things that are out of your control and rather live faithfully and intentionally in the sphere of service that I myself gave you. In your neighborhood, in your church, in your family, in your job. Here's the next thing Paul says. He says, Jeff, you have access to different weapons, more powerful weapons, weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now in this section, verses three through six, he doesn't list what those weapons are, but I wanna hone in one that he, he talks about in other places and that we see throughout scripture when we see, see spirit-empowered believers who are sitting in messes. And that's the weapon of fasting. So I told you earlier about my wife's gentle reminder of my preaching ability. There was a reason she gave me that message. You see, I had made this a process driven by my pride. She noticed I'd been waking up earlier. I'd been working harder. I'd been striving and I'd been stressed. And she said, Jeff, you're fighting with the wrong weapon. I can see it in how you're living right now. She gave me that comment because she knows how to love me directly, not with words of affirmation. Jeff, you're gonna preach a great sermon. She gave me real godly encouragement. She said, stop thinking of yourself. So I had to take a step back and honestly, it kind of made me mad. But as I thought and I processed, I knew I had to flip my perspective. And I felt like God was saying, Jeff, you need to fast. Now I know it's a little dangerous to get up in the pulpit for the first time and talk about fasting because scripture says, don't talk about it when you fast. But sometimes I wonder if we avoid the topic because we don't want to do it. I hate fasting because I love food. But there's something I've realized over time. There's no weapon in my life that so clearly focuses my heart and my mind on Christ. And that's because when I fast, I realize all the things that control me. So I do this fast and here's what I wanted. I wanted to say, God, I'm gonna do this fast for you. I'm gonna put my attention and my time and my focus on you. And then you give me a great sermon. Does anyone else pray this way? God, I'll come to you and I'll think about you and I'll focus on you. And then you give me what I want. Some of you guys are saying, man, God does not answer your prayers, Jeff. <laughs> Here's what happened. God turned a process that was filled with weight and stress and pressure <laughs> in the one that was filled with joy and worship. The last eight days, I can't wait to get with God in the morning and pray through this and think of you guys and have faces and stories of people who embody this message. It's been a complete joy. It's given me so much life. 
because of process that had been driven by pride, me being commended by other people, turned into a process where the whole focus and intention was to be commended by the Lord. It's going from pride to humility. And all of a sudden, there was grace available for the mission that was in front of me. So I started going through this message and I thought that was the sermon. It's simple. Fight with the right weapons. Focus on the right sphere. Easy. I could get through that with no problem. But there was something in my heart that knew I was missing something. There was a tension. And here's the tension. I see all these messes happening all around. Name it. And the world is hijacking that conversation away from the gospel, taking Christ out of it. But I have this hunger inside of me to see everything changed by the gospel. Don't you guys? And there's a part of me, I'm looking at this saying, right sphere, right weapons. And I'm recognizing that I'm living this out, that that same equation can be the thing that takes, keeps me from stepping into what God's called me to. Here's what I mean. I can do my daily Devo in the morning, get my quiet time, and then I can spend my time around my family, my sphere of service. And I use that comfortable formula to avoid the kingdom risk God is asking me to take. And then I look at verses 15 and 16, and I see Paul talk about the hope that faith may grow, influence may expand, and new spheres may be reached. And I'm saying, if I live in this right here, how do I get to that? Well, then I pick up Nehemiah and I'm just reading there on my own, but his life and his story just popped in new ways. This is an example of a spirit-empowered believer who we can learn from. So I wanna tell you this story again in three scenes, but I can't tell it better than the video showed it. So we'll go through it quickly. First, Nehemiah's brother comes and he says, hey, Nehemiah, the place we're from, it's in ruins. The wall has fallen down. Notice Nehemiah's response. No expert opinion. No complaining about who should have been protecting the wall. No thoughts on what the leader should do. He fasts and he prays. And we hear nothing else for four months. Scene two, four months later, Nehemiah is in front of the king as cupbearer. And you saw the conversation played out in the video. And as I watch, I ask myself, in what way is Nehemiah operating in his sphere of service that the king is even noticing that he's sad, let alone so quickly saying, hey, what are we gonna do about this? He must have had so much credibility and so much trust for the king to care. Right weapons, right sphere. But everything turns in verse five. In verse five, the king says, Nehemiah, what are we gonna do? And here's the progression we see. It says, Nehemiah prays. And in that moment when he prays, the question is, will your private devotions turn into public action? Will your intimacy with God flow into a kingdom risk? And we see Nehemiah say, sir, we gotta build. And the king says, yes. 
Scene three, Nehemiah sets out on this assignment that's sure to fail. And we know it's not because of worldly ambition. We know it's not because he wants to make a name for himself because twice in verses 12 and 16, he says, I hadn't told anybody what God put on my heart to do. He's not trying to impress someone. He's not trying to build his resume. He got a vision from God while he was fasting, while he was praying, and now he's living into that vision. He gets in front of the nobles and officials. He's like, hey guys, it's time to build. We're sitting in a mess. There's rubble all around us, but we can build something new from this mess. But don't worry, don't be afraid because God's with us. This isn't my vision, this is God's. And they start to build. <laughs> isn't that amazing? He's excelling in his fear. From circumstances outside of his control, he finds himself in a mess. After a season of prayer and fasting, a God-given vision is put on his heart and he starts to build something new right from the rubble he's sitting in. For Nehemiah, this is way more about something he's starting rather than something he's stopping. That's powerful for me. As I contemplate these events, I wonder if my focus on the wrong sphere and my insistence on the wrong weapons keeps me from seeing this. We live in such a time of deconstruction, I wonder if we've forgotten how to build. Nehemiah is not critiquing something. He's not canceling someone. He's not complaining about something. He's building something entirely new. If I had to be honest, sometimes it's easier for me to scapegoat an institution or a politician or a pastor than it is to embody the thing that I hope to see. I used to sit in the back of the church and I would say, if only the church did what it was supposed to do, how different would the world be? But I came into this problem. I got closer to the core of the church and I realized the church and our pastors are doing way more than I ever knew. Not for show, in unannounced private ways. So the question shifted. Didn't become, what's the church gonna do? The question became, Jeff, what are you gonna do? How's this tie back into verses 15 and 16 and seeing wider change? It's interesting to me that in this letter, Paul doesn't shy away from wider influence beyond our sphere. Rather, he nuances how that's different from kingdom lenses or earthly lenses. Could it be that Paul is suggesting to focus on living fully into God's call right where we're at, humbly but with extreme intentionality, and the overflow of that might affect wider change? It's almost as if living a life fully into the vision God has for our lives carries with it a spiritual weight that impacts other spheres. If this is true, it changes the mission. Making more and better disciples is not only about disseminating information, it's also about the transference of spiritual power and authority. An overflow of the life we live. 
You can't give away to another sphere something you don't first possess in your own. So as I've been sitting in this, I've been asking this question, what gave Nehemiah the freedom to build from the mess? Especially when everyone would agree that it was an assignment that was sure to fail. Well, Ethan Linder told me this week that we often dream too small because we only do what we know we can succeed at. There's no faith in that. Nehemiah took on a failing task because it was God's vision for his life. He got a vision from God and he started to build. He didn't force the vision. He just slowly lived into it. Church, this is what I think the word of the Lord is for us today. We're all living in messes. But that is no prescription for apathy or passivity. You're placed by God right where you're at. In the sphere he's assigned. You may not think you're good enough. You may not have a clever strategy. You may not be able to see the future, but he's been preparing you for this moment. If not for months, then years, and some of you decades. Someday there may be a time where a mess that was created from forces outside of our control should cause us to live in fear where we should give up the fight, where we should live relying on our own ambition, our own clever strategies, the own things we come up with in order to save the institutions, the families, the neighborhoods, the churches we live in. Now's not that time. Now is the time to take the mess you're sitting in and build something new. Right where you're at, in the sphere you've been called to. It's time to get on our knees and seek a compelling vision for God, for the things that are missing in this world. And then to create those things right where we're at. To have the courage to take the kingdom risk God may be asking you to take. If we do this, we might be able to build a future in new ways in a time it's needed in the spheres we're assigned to. Now, this is the fun part of the message for me, church, because like I said at the beginning, I've been thinking about so many of you guys and living life alongside of you guys for years. And as I look around our church, I see remarkable examples of this all around. I'll start close to me. Take Greg. 15 years ago, he got a vision from God to build a basketball program that puts God first and others second not only after huge wins, but after messy losses. And I've seen the surrender of every part of the program to God. Take recruiting. On the outside, people may think higher level recruits come because of a great locker room. But when you get closer to the program, you see the way prayer fuels recruiting. God's grace is behind every part of the program. And now the overflow of that 15 years later, I see coaches everywhere from first grade coaches to NBA coaches that are coming to Greg saying, what does the gospel have to do with basketball? And he says, everything. Let me tell you about it. 15 years living in one direction 
leading to an overflow in new places. Isn't God amazing? I've seen what God's done through Roger. 10 years ago, there was this agreement. Roger, if you mow my lawn on company time, he worked at Neil Wesleyan, then I'll play on your intramural championship team. So he would mow grass in exchange for intramural games. And that was pretty much the vision of life we were living into. But God planted something in his heart for the youth of our county. Messy situations. And Roger didn't have some grand vision of what to do. He just knew that God had put that inside him and he started living into it. Slowly, intentionally. 10 years later, he's launched and leading an alternative education school that is having transformative effect, both educationally and spiritually. If you would have said 10 years ago that that's where Roger would be, <laughs> I think we all would have said, God, you're a big guy, but we know Roger. <laughs> I look around my neighborhood. There's been a mess for five months of having kids at home all day long. And I've seen Amy and Connor and Stormy and Nathan and Heather and Crystal and the way they've taken the mess, but they've found small, subtle ways to build future kingdom men and women in their children, right in their home, in the sphere they're assigned to. These are just the people that live within 100 yards of me. This is happening all over our church. I've seen Chuck. He's taken the mess of retirement during a pandemic, stuck in quarantine, and he's built a deeper prayer life. He's come out the other side, believing God is gonna do something greater in the next generation. If you talk to this man, he thinks God's about to change the whole world in the depth of who he is. He built something new from the mess. I've seen one of our players, Luke, who took the mess of an injury and built more credibility and trust in the team by the way he prayed and encouraged his teammates. And God's positioning now for something more. But I've seen Daniel and Jordan and the way through Kids Hope, they've walked alongside two lives for years. And now these two young men come to our camps and our leaders in camp. This week, as I've talked to our staff, I've heard stories that I don't even know about that are happening in, their, in our church. I've heard about Cindy Bird, who's investing both her time and her money in nonprofits all across the county. I hear about Josh Needler, who's building new credibility and new lives and new potential for immigrants through Immigrant Connection. The list goes on. These people are not the heroes. God's the hero but the way they're willing, willing to sacrifice and risk everything for the kingdom, that's heroic. Like Nehemiah, these are lay men and lay women who live lives with one aim, to be commended by the Lord. They have messy lives, but they're building something beautiful out of them. What would it look like to take the mess that you're sitting in and build something new out of it? Something beautiful in the direction of the kingdom of God toward the vision that he's laid on your heart. We think two questions may help us get closer to the mark. If you're at home, you may bat these around with your small group right now. Maybe these are the two questions you talk about around the dinner table, 
Maybe it's in a small group later in the week. Here's the first. What is the vision that God has put in your life that is not yet fully realized? Maybe this is something he spoke years ago and you gave up hope. Maybe it's something he's sowing in your heart for the first time this morning. It might be professional. It might be spiritual. It might be relational. What is that vision? Number two, what could be the next steps in building that? That's always where it starts. Some of you, it might be more specific. You might know right now what that step is. You might be sensing right now what God's asking you to do. And maybe you'll model Nehemiah and you won't run and you won't tell anybody. Rather, you'll just start living into it. Father, as we wrestle with your word, we pray that you speak clearly. There's messes all around us, but we know your word says that of the increase of your son's government and of his peace, there will be no end. And Father, I pray that you give us the capacity and empower us to build something new. 